Jonah 3.10. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I am angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right and their left, as well as many animals? The second reading is John 3, 16, 17, which is on page 978. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, welcome. It's uh, great to be here again tonight. If you're visiting Church by the Bridge, hope you enjoy your time with us. Now, a few weeks back, I came across a video And, you know, I don't spend a lot of time online looking at videos, but this one really struck me. Now, the person that's speaking here is a pastor from the US. His name is Francis Chan. And in this video, I think he's talking to his church. So let's have a listen to see what he says. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. Oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, I'm going to get to travel. Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? I'm like, are you kidding me? 
this? What about what about all this stuff? It's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And you see, people look at some of my decisions and go, Oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, No, you're stupid because that's going to affect all of this. Man... I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now. Just enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. It's pretty confronting, isn't it? I uh, had a chance to sit down um, with, with Francis last year, and all I can say is, look, this guy, he's the real deal, and I guess the things that he says really shake me up when I listen to it. I mean, how do you guys respond to something like that when you watch and listen to a video like that? I guess a part of me thinks to myself, you know what, I'm okay. I'm living for eternity, but then there's a moment when I stop and I think honestly about myself and the choices that I've made, my motivations for things, what's in my heart. And I mean, whatever I tell myself and however many times I've felt good about the choices that I've made, if I'm honest with myself, I've failed to live by the convictions which I profess. And sometimes it's hard, hard to see, isn't it? Because for me, I've, I'm in a, a culture of affluence and comfort, and I've got this sense of entitlement that's inside my heart. And yes, there are moments of clarity and conviction, but the truth is, there's so many times I've failed to live up to what I believe. You see, when we come to this last chapter in Jonah's story, I mean, it's such a crazy ending, isn't it? I mean, Jonah's come so far from when he's running from God in chapter 1. Chapter 2, you see how he's captured by God's amazing grace. Chapter 3 that we looked at last week, we saw him being convicted as the reluctant hero. And here in chapter 4, the story takes a huge turn, a huge unexpected turn, doesn't it? I mean, if you're in a cinema, right, watching all of this play out, it's pretty disappointing for a plot, isn't it? I mean, imagine, imagine for a moment, Frodo Baggins, the hero of The Lord of the Rings, his mission, to destroy the one ring, save the world, he gets to the end, changes his mind. Middle Earth is destroyed. 
right? You wouldn't pay to see that, would you? So my question is this. Why does the book of Jonah end like this? Are we meant to be left with this sense of disappointment? You see, here's the thing. I think there's no mistake that Jonah's story ends like this. I mean that this account is recorded in chapter 4 for us to read means one thing. Rather than keep it to himself, Jonah told someone about it because he wanted others to know. But why? Why share a story that makes you look so bad, right? Here's why I think Jonah did what he did. Because it helps us to see how good God is in the face of Jonah's shortcomings. You see that? Because at the very end of Jonah's journey, it's all about God's unfailing love to those who have fallen short. And what I hope we'll see is this tonight. That the essence of Christian experience, what is it? It's God capturing our hearts with what's in His. And so there's two things. Two very simple but profound things that I want us to explore together tonight. Firstly, I want us to look at our hearts. And secondly, I want us to look at God's heart. So let's go to our first point, our hearts. What's in our hearts? What's there? Friends, the reality is this. We've all had moments in our life, right, where we've fallen short. And it's in those moments that we get a window into our hearts. So moments in life that show us what's really happening in here. And Jonah's having this moment right here, isn't he? I mean, on one level, Jonah's response makes no sense, does it? Because if you were with us last week, you would have seen that he's just gone into the city of Nineveh, the greatest city in the entire world at that time, and he's witnessed the impossible. He's seen an entire city come back to God, and it's a phenomenal success, right? But what's his response? Have a look at verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. Now listen to what Jonah says next. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love. And verse 3, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? Have a look at verse 3. And now take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's pretty crazy talk, isn't it? I mean, imagine for a moment, imagine that you're in a band, and for me, I'm imagining myself in a boy band, 
And somehow you get the chance to perform at ANZ Stadium. You picture that? And 80,000 people actually turn up to hear you singing and strutting your stuff on stage. And you'd be, you'd be stoked, right? Definitely. But no, not Jonah. He's angry. He's angry enough to die. And I think to myself, what on earth is wrong with you? I mean, there's something entertaining about watching high-profile people get caught up in scandal, isn't it? I mean, the media loves it. Why? Because I think they know that we love it too. But why? Why do, why do we love it? Why do we love this stuff? Is it because we get some sort of secret pleasure from watching people fall so dramatically? You see, I think it's tempting to, to do the same with Jonah here. But my question is this. Are we really any different? Are we really any different? So here's my, f- my first key question. When have you and I had moments where we've broken our commitments? I mean, sure, we haven't done it in as public a way. Uh, it hasn't been as exposed. And yet, I think the truth is this, if we're honest with ourselves. We've fallen again and again and again back into those old patterns of thinking and acting. Now, there's something important we can't miss here. You see, I think for many of us, whatever our backgrounds, I think we share the same misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. That if you're a Christian, you ought to be Stronger than average, better than average. But no, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, the essence of being a Christian is this. You're no better and you're no stronger than other people. But, and this is the big but, and friends, if you've been with us in the last few weeks, you know how much I love big buts. But... You are strong enough to admit your weaknesses. You see that? You realize that you can't do anything good without someone changing your heart. And you realize that you're incapable of real love, however you might appear to others. That there's selfishness, that there's self-centeredness in here. But, at that moment when you realize that God can meet that particular weakness and all your weaknesses and that he forgives you for it, then, friends, you've begun to grasp the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Because you realize that God loved you first when you had no love for him. You're humbled that God accepts you in all your weakness And you recognize that you're no better and you're no stronger. What about you guys? Have you guys grasped the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to connect with God, to to know Him? Do you hear Jonah's story here that we've just read and do you kind of feel incredulous, judgmental? Or do you see your story, my story, in His? 
Friends, when have you and I had moments where we've fallen short? That's the first question. And the second is this. What? What have those moments shown us about what's in our hearts? I mean, what causes someone to get so angry that they would rather die than live? And in case you've missed it, Jonah, he expresses this sentiment actually a couple of times in the passage. So have a look at verse 3. Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then go to the end of verse 8. Listen to what he says in verse 8. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head, he almost fainted. And he wanted to die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. You see, his heart was torn between what was important to him and what was important to God. You see that? Put simply, Jonah had a divided heart. I mean, here's the thing. When someone is saying that they're ready to die, that they've got no meaning in life, I had something there, but but now it's gone. Something which gave me purpose and identity. I mean, just think about it. Jonah is looking at the very source of life, and he's saying, I've got no meaning. That something is dividing his heart, isn't it? I mean, he'd rather watch 120,000 people eliminated than see them experience God's indiscriminate love. You see, for Jonah, here's the bottom line. He wanted to keep God's love for himself rather than share that gift with others. Rather than share that gift with, as he thought, a bunch of dirty pagan Ninevites. You see that? I mean, that's, that's what's happening on the surface, right? We can see that happening on the surface. But what's going on underneath? You see, the story uh, of the vine in verses 5 to 9 gives us some, I think, important insight into this question because God captures for us what's really going on inside here for Jonah. And what I think it shows us is this. Jonah's anger towards God for his indiscriminate love. Why is he doing that? Here's what I think, and we explore this. It's because he's loving God for what he gives rather than who he is. What he gives rather than who he is. Hold that thought. Let's work through it together. So God provides him with a vine. What does the vine do? It gives him respite from the scorching Middle Eastern heat, doesn't it? It's a symbol of God's gracious compassion to him and provision to him. And yet when God takes that away, Jonah's overcome with bitterness, right? We see that from the passage. What's it show us? It shows us that Jonah isn't loving God for who he is. He's loving God for what he gives. You with me? Put simply, he's loving the gift 
rather than the giver. I mean, imagine for a moment, uh, you walk into a store, there's a smooth-talking salesman that approaches you, they're super, super nice to you, but then they realize that you're just browsing, right? What happens? They lose interest. Why? Because they aren't interested in you, are they? They're interested for your purchase, right? And like Jonah, his reaction shows us that he's not loving the giver. He's loving the gift. And so when the gift is gone, so is his joy. So what about us? Let's think about us for a moment. Have we been loving God for what he gives rather than who he is? What are the vines in your life and and my life? What's dividing our hearts? Here's Here's a few questions that we can think about for ourselves. What's something or someone that you couldn't possibly imagine yourself living without? What causes us to respond in anger and frustration and despair when we don't get what we want? I mean, you hope for something and you want it and it's on your heart and you you don't get it. How do you respond? Like Jonah? Think about another way. What keeps you up at night? What weighs you down as you sleep? What makes you feel the best about yourself or the worst? It's usually the same thing, right? I mean, if we love praise and affirmation from others, we feel great when we get it and terrible when we don't. So where are our vines? Our careers, our investments, our children, marriage, Desire for relationships, comforts, family. Sometimes the vines are less tangible, are they? A desire to assume an outward persona, to hide the insecurities that are in here. Yeah? And sometimes we don't see our vines until God takes them away. But when it happens, we look back and... We think, wow, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Here's my question. Are you loving the giver or are you loving the gifts? What's in your heart? What's in my heart? But there's an even more important question here, isn't there? And that brings us to our next point. What's in God's heart? God sees what's in our heart, and and what does he do? This is what he does. He captures our hearts with what's in his. His unfailing love for you and me. You see just how patient God is towards Jonah, don't you? I, I mean, he could have just put Jonah right in his place, right? But no. See how he talks to Jonah through his frustrations? Just like a a father having a a chat with a petulant child. Just have a look at the conversation in verse 9. Then God asked Jonah, 
is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. Now look at how gently God reasons with him in the following verse in verse 10. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you didn't labor over and you didn't grow. It appeared in the night and and perished in the night. Should I not care for the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right hand from their left, as well as many animals? You see that? I mean, he's like that with us, isn't he? For those of us who are Christians, do you remember the, just take yourself back. Do you remember the first time you came to know God? Might have been a long time ago, might have been recently. We all came to him because we were looking for something from him, weren't we? Looking for meaning and, and purpose that we weren't able to find elsewhere. Or, or maybe for comfort in knowing that there was someone who was in control of the mess that was in our lives. Or maybe we're different again. Maybe we challenged him. We challenged him to prove his existence and we said, God, prove yourself to me. Or maybe we bargained with him, right? Ever thought about bargaining with God? We said, okay, I'll come to church. I'll come to church if it means that you'll make my life better or feel better about myself. We put him to the test, don't we? I mean, if someone treated you and me like that, what would you call them? Simple. A jerk. True? And yet, like a good friend, he didn't put his foot down. He didn't read us the right act. No. He met us exactly where we were at. He listened, didn't he? And he patiently and he graciously showed us where we got it wrong. But there's an important thing that we shouldn't miss here. You see, God's patient, gracious, unfailing love, it isn't an idea. It's not something that we just think about, a concept. It's something to be experienced. Because the heart that's experienced and tasted God's unfailing love can't possibly be a divided heart. Let me explain. I mean, you can talk about all you want about the joys of friendship and relationship, right? You can do that. But until you and I experience it for ourselves, we don't actually get what a friendship and a relationship is like, right? It's also something to be enjoyed, isn't it? I mean, just think about it for a moment. Think about all the friendships, all the connections and relationships that have had the biggest and greatest impact on you. You enjoyed them, right? You tasted them. You experienced them. It's the same for God's love. But as we've already seen here in this part of Jonah's story, sometimes God brings us into a deeper experience of his love by actually removing things in our lives that are dividing our hearts. 
He removes the vines in our lives to help us rely on Him and to love Him for who He is rather than what He gives. Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life at the moment. You're angry that God has taken away your vine. Something which is profoundly important to you, probably something that's actually good in and of itself. Your financial security, your health, your family, your job, the success that you once had, your health, relationships. And you know, these struggles are real and we shouldn't downplay them. But God is calling you to remember that everything good that you've ever had, that I've ever had on this side of eternity, it's simply a gift. It's not something that we're entitled to. And I think what happens is when we see that and we grasp that, God's love begins to change us because we begin to see the bigger picture, don't we? We're no longer fixated on our vines. We're no longer consumed by what we have or or what we don't have. What consumes us is the brokenness in our world, in people, in others, in ourselves. And the irony is that when that happens, I know some of you guys have experienced this, it frees us. It fills us with joy because we know that However far we fall, that God, like a a good friend, will never leave us. I came across this quote from the theologian J.I. Packer recently. Let me share it with you. This is what it says. Your faith won't fail while God sustains it. You aren't strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. Such powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, a few Sundays ago, I was at home by myself, just an ordinary Sunday, preparing for these series of talks. And as you know, I sat there reflecting on this passage and and other parts of the Bible. And there was a moment where God showed me what was going on in here. I mean... There'd been a lot of negativity and frustration in a particular part of my life, and it was coming out in various ways, in impatience, criticalness. But God showed me how much I'd been trying to exert my control over things. I wanted things to happen in my time, in my way. But there was a moment when God said to me, you need to let go of this and just trust me. And he, and he spoke to me just like he did with Jonah, patiently and, and lovingly. I mean, of course I knew at least in my head that God was in control. But the moment he helped me let go in here, I just felt the burden lift. And I know some of you guys will know what I'm talking about, because you've experienced this for yourself in your own walk with God. You see, that's what God's unfailing love can do, can't it? It's that powerful. But friends, 
You know where we look to see the fullness of God's heart? The fullness of his unfailing love for us? I think you know where. We look to the person that Jonah's story points us to. Jesus. Friends, let me explain. You see, when God takes away our vines, so often we just can't see it at the time, right? We can't see what possible good could be achieved from that. What possible purpose? Until it's happened. And then it brings us into a deeper experience of his love. And after we go through it, we look back and we think think to ourselves, God, if that hadn't happened to me, I don't know where I'd be today. But how is it possible that we can trust him like that? How can we trust him? We look to Jesus on the cross. Because when we look at the cross, we see God's love in focus. See, to the undiscerning eye, the cross is nothing but an instrument of death, a symbol of failure and, and humiliation. And yet the Bible shows that when Jesus stepped on that cross, that became the blazing center of God's glory. And he did it for us in our place. Why? To take the punishment that we deserved. Because on the cross, he showed the fullness of God's unfailing love by emptying himself, bringing forgiveness to our divided hearts. He showed you and me that he loves you for you. He didn't say, go away and fix up your life, then come to me. This is what he says. He says, I see you. I see everything and I know everything that's in your heart, where you've fallen short. I know there's been so many times where you've loved my gifts and not me, but you know what? I'm still with you. That's why we can trust him. When we look to Jesus on the cross, God gave his best at our worst. You know how much he loved us on the cross? Was it this much? This much? No, this much. That's how much he loved us when he got up on the cross. And he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. As we wrap things up tonight, let me share with you the story of Blaise Pascal. He was a genius. He was a man of of many talents As some of you will know, he was a prominent mathematician, a physicist, an inventor, a writer. He made some of the most important contributions to geometry, to to calculus, to physics. He was highly successful in his time and recognized for it as well. He grew up knowing lots about the Bible and so had a very good intellectual intellectual grasp of, of God's love. And yet throughout his life, he lived with a sense of spiritual desperation and frustration. And he knew what was going on inside himself. But on the night of 23rd November 1654, a while back, something dramatic happened. That night, 
he experienced something that would change him and the course of his life forever. You see, for years, God's love had just been this abstraction to him, this idea in his head. But there was one night when God and his love became a reality. He realized that he couldn't know God's truth only by reason, but that it was through his heart that he experienced God's love. And so when he died, do you know what they found on him? Let me tell you. They found a piece of paper sewn into his coat with these words. The year of grace, 1654. From half past ten in the evening until half past midnight. Two hours. Fire. Certainty, certainty. Heartfelt joy and peace. God of Jesus Christ, the world had not known thee, but I had known thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. You know what, friends? That's my deepest desire for you guys and for myself. Over the last few weeks, I've been praying that every one of us here tonight Every one of you here tonight, wherever you're at, would experience the depth of God's unfailing love for you. However lost you feel, angry, anxious, disappointed, guilty. You've seen the pride and the sense of self-sufficiency that's in your heart. But you know what? God meets you and me just where we are with his unfailing love. And if you feel like you've fallen short and he's shown you the ways in which you haven't loved him for him, and you you feel him convicting your heart tonight, don't resist that, friends. Come back to him. We can do that right now. And maybe you you can do what Jonah did. Tell someone about it. Bring it to light. Ask for, for God's forgiveness. Don't be weighed down in your heart, but be captured by what's in his. Friends, shall we pray? Let's pray. Father God, you've shown us what's in our hearts tonight. But more importantly, you've shown us what's in yours. And our deepest desire is that we will be captured by your unfailing love. Lord God, Father, show us the vines that are gripping and dividing our hearts. Show us where we haven't loved you for you. We ask that you make your love real to us in our hearts as we look to your son and his amazing work on the cross. Bring us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.